Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History podcast, and you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Bradley Hart on Hitler's American Friends. On the 4th of July, 1937, a group of Americans gathered in the town of Yapank, Long Island, to celebrate the country's birthday. Many of the traditional elements of Americana were present, including picnic baskets, beer, and the inevitable fireworks. Yet there were some unusual elements as well. Some of those in attendance were in uniform, but not the uniform of the U.S. Army. More than 300 men in silver-gray shirts with black ties and Sam Brown belts that passed over their right shoulders, and others wearing black shirts, goose-stepped past the stage and saluted their leaders with extended right arms. A huge swastika adorned the stage next to the American flag. The usual patriotic speeches that day focused not only on the United States, but also several of its soon-to-be enemies. Cries of Heil Hitler and Heil Mussolini filled the summer air. This was the 4th of July celebrated in the style of the German-American Bund, once the country's leading organization for German sympathizers and Nazi imitators. Though nearly forgotten by us today, the Bund once boasted a nationwide membership in the thousands and had chapters in nearly every American city. Millions more Americans saw newsreel footage of goose-stepping Bund members mimicking Hitler's stormtroopers, or read newspaper exposés about the Boone's secret training camps for children and adults alike. In Washington, D.C., politicians and law enforcement officials wondered what the Boone's leaders might be plotting. Yet despite its undeniable popularity for some Americans, and the public outcry it generated, the Boone never came close to fulfilling the ambitions of its leaders. In part, this was thanks to the courageous infiltration of the group by an enterprising Chicago journalist who risked both life and limb to expose what the Boone was up to. His name was John C. Metcalf, and we'll return to his story in a moment. The German-American Bund had been founded in 1936 and was led by a German immigrant and a naturalized American citizen named Fritz Kuhn. In theory, the Bund was merely an organization of German-Americans who wanted to stay in touch with their former homeland. In reality, though, the Bund had been created from the remains of an organization called Friends of the New Germany, had openly supported Adolf Hitler and his plans for the Third Reich. That organization was shut down when the German government decided it was simply too disreputable and might endanger Germany's relations with the United States. The Bund was therefore supposed to be a more respectable way for German Americans to stay in touch with their former country, but also show support for its new leader, Adolf Hitler. In reality, the Bund's ideology itself was more closely aligned with the Reich than its leaders wanted to admit. Fritz Kuhn himself was a World War I veteran who had won the Iron Cross. After the war, he joined the Nazi party and brawled with communists on the streets of Munich. He later claimed to have actually been present for the failed Beer Hall Putsch that landed Hitler in prison for a while. In 1923, Kuhn moved to Mexico and later settled in Detroit, where he worked for the Ford Motor Company. According to one account, he was fired from the job when management discovered him practicing political speeches while on the clock. An irrelevant aside, 
Stay tuned to episode four of this miniseries to learn more about Henry Ford and his personal obsession with Nazism. In 1936, Fritz Kuhn was working as the Midwestern leader of the Friends of the New Germany. When that organization rebranded itself as the Bund, he was appointed national leader. In some ways, Kuhn seemed like a good choice for the job. He was a decent public speaker, although his attempts to emulate Hitler through erratic arm movements and gestures was often seen as over the top. He also wore glasses, giving him the vague air of a scholar when he was speaking. His Bund uniform, designed by himself, prominently included his Iron Cross. After moving to New York to take over the Boone's national headquarters, Kuhn was pictured in the press going to nightclubs with a succession of beautiful women, including a former Miss America. Everything he did was great fodder for the media. All of this made Kuhn exceptionally dangerous, though, too. At Boone events, he insisted on placing swastikas next to American flags in a clear attempt to equate the two. All the standard imagery of Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, goose-stepping troops in jackboots, straight-arm salutes, were now being associated with Americanism. All members of the Bund had to be of Aryan descent and state in their applications that they had no Jewish ancestry. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Boone's slogan was Free America, by which it meant an America free from Jewish influence. Kuhn's strategy was therefore to combine the essence of Americanism with a new and insidious version of National Socialism. We don't really know how many members the Boone had at any given time. Kuhn once estimated that national membership was around 20,000, with about 100,000 sympathizers who attended periodic events and generally agreed with the group. This doesn't seem like a huge membership in a country of more than 150 million people at the time, but it's worth remembering that just 12 years before taking power, the German Nazi party only had 2,000 members. A year later, it had 10 times that number. Who was to say that Kuhn could not pull off a similar feat right here in the U.S.? Even more troubling to many Americans was the Boone's aggressive creation of youth summer camps. These were directly modeled on the Hitler youth camps that had become compulsory destinations for German young people. Similarly, the Boone's youth division existed nationwide and held Nazi-themed summer camps in at least 15 locations around the country, mostly in the New York area, the upper Midwest, and in California. Boone campers wore paramilitary uniforms, marched in formation, learned German, and were tutored in the fundamental principles of National Socialism. As the undercover reporter John C. Metcalf would later tell Congress, the main orientation of the camps was instilling what he called the four H's, health, Hitler, Heils, and hatred. We still don't know how many children attended the Boone summer camps throughout their existence, but they certainly numbered in the thousands. This troubling situation soon attracted the attention of both the American government and the media. 
the FBI investigated the Boond at various points in the late 1930s, but couldn't find a reason to prosecute Kuhn. That was all soon to change, however. In March of 1937, Kuhn welcomed a new member to the New York chapter of the organization named Helmut Oberwinder. In reality, Helmut Oberwinder was John C. Metcalf, a Chicago newspaper correspondent and himself a German immigrant. Helmut Oberwinder was actually his birth name, which he had Americanized when he immigrated. As a fluent German speaker and a fearless reporter, Metcalf was in many ways the perfect infiltrator of the Bund. Traveling the country on behalf of Kuhn, Metcalf met Bund leaders and members alike. What he discovered was chilling. In Los Angeles, Metcalf was told that Boone members there had engaged in fistfights with communists on the streets and won what they called moral victories against overwhelming odds. In St. Louis, Metcalf was told that the local police were the Boone's, quote, best friends because many of them were of Irish and German descent and they, quote, hate the communists as much as we do. Visiting Cleveland, he met a German war veteran who showed him a rubber hose and bragged about how he'd used it to beat up Jews on the streets of Germany. Metcalf needed to expose the boon for what it really was. In early September 1937, Metcalf and his journalistic collaborators, including his brother James, published the first in a series of sensational articles about the boon in the Chicago Daily Times. A national firestorm set off immediately. Representatives of the German government in Berlin were forced to awkwardly deny that the Boon was part of a Nazi plot to take over the U.S. The pressure was rising on Kuhn. In 1938, Hitler's government ordered Kuhn to stop endangering German-American relations through his antics. The Boon's leader, however, would not go down quietly. In February of 1939, Kuhn rented one of New York's most famous venues, Madison Square Garden, for what he claimed was a celebration of George Washington's birthday. In reality, it was a Nazi-style rally that included huge portraits of Washington next to swastikas and anti-Semitic slogans. The Boone sold 22,000 tickets for the event, but that number was dwarfed by the 100,000 protesters who surrounded the venue. That number was dwarfed by the 100,000 protesters who surrounded the venue. Scuffles broke out between Boone members and protesters as the New York City Police Department desperately tried to maintain order. During Kuhn's keynote address in Madison Square Garden, a Jewish hotel worker named Isidore Greenbaum tried to rush the stage and attack him. Uniformed Boone members tackled him and dragged him off stage. The Madison Square Garden event would become Kuhn's downfall. New York Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia was outraged by the spectacle and ordered an investigation of the Boone's finances. After raiding Boone headquarters and seizing its financial records, investigators discovered that thousands of dollars from ticket sales appeared to be missing. Kuhn was arrested and charged with embezzlement. During the ensuing trial, it emerged that he had spent most of the missing money maintaining his opulent lifestyle, as well as several mistresses. The Boone leader was convicted in December of 1939 and sat in Sing Sing prison until the end of World War II. He would eventually be deported to West Germany. The Boone was all but finished with Kuhn's criminal conviction. Despite his larger-than-life image and the fear that he might become an American Hitler, the Boone's leader had been exposed as little more than a corrupt, womanizing demagogue. As we will see in our next episode, however, he was far from the last of Hitler's American friends who had once made the bid for the title of American Fuhrer. You've been listening to guest historian Bradley Hart. I'm your host, Giles Milton. Tune in to the Unknown History podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.